You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Let us join together in prayer. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And may your word be more than just words to us, and we more than only hearers, but doers. In Christ's name, amen. It was planned well in advance so that the entire extended family could be there. Everyone looked forward to it. New babies would be passed around and and debate would take place as to who in the family's long history they each looked most like. The children would happily run around like wild horses let loose from the corral, and and there'd always be a sporting event of some kind to occupy the teens and the younger adults. The men would stand around and talk about the crops and the drought and the economy, and and there'd even be a joke or two that, that someone had heard down at the shearing lot. And, of course, all the women would congregate around the cooking area, putting the, the final touches on the grand meal. The annual family gathering was always very special. And every member of the family marked the date well in advance and, and looked forward to it with anxious anticipation And they all knew the schedule for the day. It was the same every year, especially what would happen after the grand feast. For after they'd all eaten like they'd not had a good meal since this event a year ago, just like every year, Sarah would be complimented profusely for her legendary lamb stew. And everyone would want the recipe for Milka's camel casserole, not to mention her delicious rhubarb pie. Then the entire family would settle under the big tent and sit back and get comfortable to hear Tara the aging patriarch tell the same family stories about the good old days. And inevitably, he'd start with the great exploits of their ancient ancestor Noah and the massive boat. (laughs) Last year, they'd all clutch their sides in laughter as he told about how both ducks thought the great flood was the best thing since sliced matzo. And some hoped that that this year he'd again focus on the always hilarious squabbles among Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and, and Zapheth, the now fabled 
brotherly disagreements over whose turn it was to count the number of rabbits down in the boat's hull, or the not always so friendly arguments those three always had as to whose turn it was to clean up after those darn elephants. Yet no matter what, soon enough Tara would get to the the family lineage part of the story. The retelling of how our Pakshad was the father of Shelah, who was the father of Peleg, who was the father of Reu, who was the father of Sarag, who was the father of Nahor, who was, who was his father, and how their family through the years had been so very blessed. Until no matter what, every year, he'd conclude his story by, by turning to Abram and saying, and you, Abram, you are my son. And one day, one day your son will carry on our family's great name and great story. And everyone there would nod their head in approval. And then, after yet another helping, they'd gather up their sleepy children and retreat back to their own tents for the night. That's how it went. Year after year after year. But Abram and Sarah, just the two of them, would always remain with a somber, faraway gaze in their eyes, for they knew, they knew. The Bible records it in one terse cryptic verse. Now Sarah was barren, it says. She had no child. That's it. We're not told why that was. There's no suggestion as, as to punishment or curse, no, no implication that Sarah or Abram had done something that was evil in God's sight. Just simply, Sarah was barren. She had no child. In one short verse, it was clear that this family, a family whose great promise had began, had began with, a, with a rainbow, had played out its future, that, that history for this family was ending right there with them. But then unexpectedly, just like that, the Lord says to Abram, Jeff read it, Go, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and you all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
And just as we have no clue why Sarah was, was barren, we also have no idea why God would choose Abram. For as we will soon find out, Abram was anything but a paragon of righteousness. Heck, he'd soon tell Pharaoh that his wife was his sister just to save his own life. And he was 75 years old for crying out loud. So for him and Sarah, barrenness certainly spelled the end to any family planning they might have been doing. Barrenness, even today, can be extremely heartbreaking. You see, we rejoice at birth. We reserve a special place in our worship service. We have a red rose up here on the pulpit, and we make a special announcement. We honor children with things like vacation Bible school a whole week, and, and we call them precious gifts from God, and rightly so. But deep down, especially in folks who desperately want a child and, and can't seem to conceive, there's often the primary, the primal question, why not us, Lord? Now, in these modern times, there are all sorts of options, doctors and hospitals and fertility clinics and, of course, adoption. But not so for Abram and Sarah. They were barren, period. End of story. No foreseeable future for them and, and thus no future for this family. For barrenness in the Bible didn't just mean the inability to bear a child for a particular woman. It didn't just mean the end of one family's lineage. It was also a symbol for ultimate hopelessness. And yet, and this is important, barrenness was, and I think it is in its broader definition, also very often the setting for God's life-giving action. Because, as I've said, for, for whatever reason, God chooses Abram. <laughs> For whatever reason, God says to Abram, go from your country, from the people who, who up to now have given you your identity, go from what's familiar, go from all you know and hold dear, just go. And miraculously, incredibly, Abram doesn't argue. He doesn't say, Lord, if it's all the same to you, heck, at, at, at 75, doesn't a person have, have the right to think of it selfishly? Isn't it my turn to do some of the things I, I've been wanting to do? I've, I've done what you've asked all these years. Isn't it my turn? Thanks, God. But no thanks. None of that. Instead, he basically steps into the nearest phone booth tent and second later, seconds later emerges, cue the music, as Mr. Obedient. For somehow, miraculously, in true 
biblical drama, Abram understood that when we're at our best, when we're at our very best, we realize that even though our values are usually deeply embedded in our regular, in our familiar, in our customs, and in our traditions, our hopes, our future is almost always found in our moving forward, almost always found in the unfamiliar. And so at 75 plus, Abram and Sarah put the tent on the market and have a giant yard sale and off they go. And God also promises to be with them as they go and to make them a blessing as they go. And as we listen to the story, it just might be possible that we discover that it's often from those kinds of places, from the barren places of our own lives, that we too are able to hear God most clearly. Later, from the cross, we hear the words, Father, forgive them. And from that setting, it sure is, understand, it sure is easy to understand what the word forgive really means. And later, to a church that's fighting and complaining, not satisfied about anything, Paul says, love is patient and kind. Words that in that context, we simply can't help but hear what the love for one another really might mean. And still later, to a heavily persecuted church, a church that's literally seen their own members thrown to the lions, John says, I see a new heaven and a new earth. Words clearly filled with something not here, but that has a new hope of what's ahead, what is to come. God said to Abram and Sarah, go to a land and a life that I will show you, and I will bless you. And Mr. Obedient goes. So... What are the barren places in our lives? What are the places of, of deep longing that have left us empty and hopeless and maybe even depressed? What are the places of, of anger that have zapped us of our, of our energy? What are the places of fear, the places of change? <laughs> maybe the places of fear of change that have imprisoned us, that have kept us from, from even considering how we might move forward. What are the things that, that might be going on in, your, in our family or our school or our work or our church or, or even in this crazy troubled world that have left us wondering what could possibly be coming next? What is that thing or those things for us that, that burn so hotly in our heart 
that make us just want to think there is no future for us? What are the barren places in our lives? For it could be that those are the very places where we might be able to hear God's voice most clearly, exactly the places where we may be able to risk being Mr. or Mrs. or Miss or Ms. or Doctor or whatever, obedient. Where we might be able to risk going forward, not to what we know, but to what God knows, to God's promises. Recently, when a family was all together in a wonderful setting, and after the babies had been passed around and the teens and younger adults had, had enjoyed the traditional touch football or cornhole game, and after the chefs had been applauded for how the casseroles turned out and the dads had been cheered for their prowess on the big green egg, the now really rather large family gathered from the oldest to the youngest to share another piece of southern pecan pie and hear the story they'd all heard before. The story about when Abram and Sarah were nearly a hundred years old, by God's miracle and promise, a son was born to them who they named Isaac. And about how Isaac and his wife Rebekah had twin boys and named them Jacob and Esau. And then how from Jacob, who was nicknamed Israel, 12 tribes were formed. And, and how out of those tribes, through the heroics of the great Moses and the return through the wilderness to the promised land, came the house of David. And how lo and behold, in the city named after David, a Savior was born. Their very family's Savior. Jesus the Christ, the very one who still calls them together every Sunday. The same Savior that has for years blessed that particular family of faith and so many other families and made them such a blessing to so many. And they all nodded their heads. And then as they all took a small piece of bread and a tiny cup of juice and passed it to one another, as well as to anyone and everyone that was present, they remembered. And then they all nodded and said together, as if with one voice, it is right to give God thanks and praise. Let us pray. Open us, our hearts and our minds, Oh God, 
by your spirit the possibilities of something, some things new. Not only sometime in the far distant future, but even today. In the familiarity and the newness and the freshness of the sacrament. In the very midst of this family. Open us to hearing your word and miraculously obeying. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.